Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. Longest Shortest Time is brought to you by Invite. Your genes can tell you if you're 12% French or 6% Italian. They can also tell you a lot about your future health. When you take an Invite genetic test, they search for meaningful health information, like whether you're at an increased risk for inherited cancer or heart disease. Based on your results, you may be able to take steps to potentially lower that risk. Learn more by visiting Invite.com. That's I-N-V-I-T-A-E.com. Hey, everybody. Quick note before we get started. Today's episode is a follow-up to last week's. So if you haven't heard that one yet, I recommend going and listening to that one first. This episode will make a lot more sense if you do. This show is also our last rerun for a while. We've been hard at work here at Longest Shortest Time headquarters to produce our next season of brand new episodes. I can't wait to bring those stories to your ears next week. We'll be kicking off the season with talented comedian Lauren Lapkus. Later on in the season, we'll have a clown. We'll have Terry Gross, who's going to talk about not having kids. um, And also she reveals her recurring nightmare about uh, a a baby. I don't want to give too much away. Um, And we will have a couple more episodes with the guys from today's show, the accidental gay parents who you have come to know and love. So make sure you're subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss these new episodes. Also, if you live in Chicago, I want to meet you. Come to Speed Dating for Mom Friends on April 9th at the Grafton Pub in Lincoln Square. I used to live in Lincoln Square. I went to this pub all the time. I love this place. So come out and meet me. It's going to be lots of fun. We're going to drink mimosas. Steve and Kate's camp will be giving three free days of camp to everyone who comes. Get your tickets now at longestshortesttime.com under events. Okay, on with the episode. Tristan, I'm showing you the adoption agreement. Have you had a chance to review this document? I have. And do you agree that you would like to adopt Riley and treat him in all ways as your legal child? I do. The Tristan here is the same Tristan from our first Accidental Gay Parents episode, which aired last week. What you just heard is part of the court hearing for Tristan and his husband, John, to adopt their niece and nephew, Riley, age seven, and Haley, who's almost five. Now, as for Haley, I'll start with you, John. Do you agree to adopt Haley and treat her in all respects as your legal child? I do. Do you agree to give her all of the rights, same rights as a natural child born to you, including the right to inherit your estate? I do. Would you please indicate that agreement by signing next year? Yes. So to remind you, what's going on here is John has a sister who had two children as a teenager. She was unable to care for the kids. Four years ago, child services called John, told him they were about to pull the kids out of the home unless he took them, which he did, along with Tristan. What followed were several years of tense court battles. 
battles that, frankly, John and Tristan weren't sure they had a shot of winning, simply for the fact that they were gay. But then, on July 6th... Pursuant to the authority vested in me by the state of California, it is now hereby declared, adjudged, and ordered that Haley and Riley are members of the Chaplow-Reese family. Congratulations. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Today, we revisit Tristan and John's story. Last time, we heard Tristan's side. Now, we get to hear John's. And while the arc of these stories are the same, John's perspective is pretty different. Remember, the person they were going up against in court was his sister. We'll be getting back to the adoption ceremony. But first, we've got to talk about Tristan and John's love story. Tristan's version is he threw himself at John, gave him all he had flirting-wise, went to events where he knew John would be, joined a meetup group that John led. The way Tristan described it, he sounded kind of like a stalker. Yeah, but you know, Tristan likes to pretend like he's real bold in that way, but he really wasn't. This, of course, is John. Tristan had made comments really early on that made me think he was not interested in me. Um, like he said that he likes bears. And for for those who don't know, a, a bear is a gay man that's usually a little bit older, um, huskier, chubby, and hairy. And I am everything that is the opposite of that. <laughs> you know, so I am younger, I'm thin, I don't have a lot of hair. In fact, you know, Tristan's beard puts my beard to shame, um, <laughs> although he has help, so. <laughs> what John means there is Tristan is transgender. He has a female body, and he takes hormones, which help him develop a deeper voice and grow a beard. Anyway, John was attracted to Tristan, but he was so convinced that Tristan would not like him that he told himself, I'm not going to chase someone I don't have a chance with. Besides, he was in a relationship. But then one day, John split up with that boyfriend and posted on Facebook that he was single. Tristan immediately invited him to dinner. John figured it was a date. So we went to dinner, and um, and we had a great time. And then Tristan, we had both gotten dogs uh, not long before actually meeting each other. And my dog had long hair, and Tristan said, oh, hey, I got a little bow for your dog. And I said, oh, that's so cute. And he said, oh, I left it at my place. So maybe we could go back to my place after this and get the bow. And I'm sure everybody listening knows what that really means. Or at least if you're a gay guy, that means like, hey, we're going to go back to my place and at least probably make out, Um, which sounded good to me. (laughs) (laughs) And so so we go back to his place and we're like sitting on his bed kind of awkwardly, you know, that it's like the, the period of time before your first kiss is what it felt like to me. And then Tristan kind of abruptly is like, well, I guess you better go. You don't want to miss your train. And I was kind of like, oh, (laughs) I have been totally misreading this whole night. So I left. And, you know, in Los Angeles, most of the trains are underground. And so when I came above ground, I got a text from him that said um, something to the effect of, if you would like to go on a date, I would be interested in that. (laughs) (laughs) Has he told you what that was about, why he sent you home that night? Um. 
Yeah, I think we know we've talked about it a lot. And I think he he didn't want to, like, put me in a position where I had to make the choice of dealing of, of like facing what it means to be with a transgender person right away. What was it like for you to be dating a transgender person? Um, I had a few concerns about, like, what does this do to my identity as a gay man? Because mm. I've always really thought of myself as gay and liking men in particular. Um, and so I wasn't, like, I wasn't really sure if that could work for me. John had never seen a naked female body up close before. He even went online and researched female anatomy. But truthfully, it didn't really matter. I loved Tristan. And whatever that meant for my identity or how people saw me didn't really matter to me because what mattered to me was that I was with somebody that I loved that's an amazing person that would be like a good partner in my life. Um, And I think the second thing is, I think I really value courage and bravery in other people because to me, like so much of what it means to be a queer person is that we've had to face the world without some sort of, you know, guideline on how to be who you are. And we face so much judgment in, in so many different ways because we don't conform by, by our very nature. And so queer people are usually a lot, they're usually brave, strong people because they've had to endure a lot. And so I think Tristan's journey in, in his transition meant that like he had to really develop um, a rebellious, courageous nature. And I, that really drew me to him. So the kids that you adopted with Tristan are your sister's biological children. Um, when did your involvement with her family life begin? Um, she, she, you know, she's had struggles and problems since a young child and through teenagehood. And right as I was planning to leave uh, the city that we were living in and move to Los Angeles, she got pregnant as a teen. But I felt really, I don't know, I felt like a sense of responsibility about this because my older brother um, has and had his own set of issues and wasn't around at all. And so I, I don't know, I just felt like, should I be leaving and moving to Los Angeles when my, my, like my baby sister is dealing with this? And, and your mom is a single mom? Yeah. My Mm -hmm. dad, um, sort of left the picture when I was nine or 10. Um, so yeah, my mom like took all of us and we went to California where her family was and she raised us. Um, and you, sorry, where where did you start out when you said you moved to California? Where were you? It, we, um, we were in Massachusetts. Okay. Oh That's wow! So like all the, the way Coast. across the country. Yes. Like we uprooted our lives and left, and and that was actually to avoid attention and embarrassment around a crime that my father had committed. Um, like he was a police officer, and then it had to do with some crimes he committed as a police officer, and I think. Th- I believe that they were mostly financial crimes. And so did he go to prison? No, he did not end up going to prison. Um, but how many police officers do go to prison? Right. <laughs> you know, um, so we, you know, we left that and I was happy to leave that. Life was not happy there. My dad was not a good dad. I wasn't really losing um, anything. And, but that also meant that like, 
you know, how much attention can one parent give each child when there are four kids and, and two of them, my, you know, my youngest sister, who's the the mother of my children now and my older brother were very difficult. Um, and so my mom just had her hands full and was constantly kind of hanging on by a thread is what it felt like. Um, and so I never, I never blame, or I don't blame now, or never blamed my mom for any of the issues my siblings face because I feel like we made it out alive. <laughs> um, and it also meant that, like, as a teenager, when I came out as gay, that was like the least of my mother's concerns. Mm. Um, you know, so it felt kind of good to not be <laughs> the worst of the kids. Um, and. So anyways, I've lost my train of thought in what you're asking me. Yeah, yeah. So you were talking about your sister. So she um, she got pregnant around 16, and you um, were about to leave home. Yeah, and so I felt guilty. I felt like, I felt like I, maybe I was abandoning her. And so I made the decision to be very active in her life and in the baby's life, which the baby turned out to be Riley. And so I was there when, when Riley was born. You know, I was in the hospital, and I... And at that moment, I thought that I might, I might never get to see a baby born because I didn't know if I would have kids. And I knew that if I had kids, they probably weren't coming out of my partner. So, you know, I thought maybe this would be a cool opportunity to, to see the miracle of life. And I asked my sister if I could, and she said yes. And it ended up that she had a C-section, so they can only have one person in the room with a C-section. And she asked my mom to go with her. Um. So my sister was exhausted and my sister did not want, did not want Riley to be laying in the nursery or she didn't even want him to be laying in the little, you know, crib next to the hospital bed. So she asked if I would just hold him. Um, and she wasn't able to hold him because of the C-section for very long. So basically the first 12 hours of Riley's life, he was in my arms and, and I remember like looking at his face and just thinking like totally called to protect this child. Uh, and I knew, I mean, I just knew that he wasn't going to have an easy life. Um, and I promised him in that moment that I would protect him. I said that I would protect him and be there for him and, and so I did everything I could to make sure that he was okay. Um, at some point, not long after Riley was born, my sister came down to Los Angeles to live with me. Um, so her and Riley lived with me in his very young days. And and Riley was like an adorable, happy baby. And it was fun to be an uncle and to offer support. But it quickly became clear uh, that the situation was much worse than maybe I thought it was going to be. When Riley was a year and a half old, John's sister started dating someone, someone dangerous. He did drugs. He was violent. He had served time on and off for a decade for assault, forgery, and burglary. But John's sister was drawn to him, and she followed him back to the town where she and John had grown up. It became really clear right away that Riley's sort of demeanor changed. Like he, in, instead of being like this happy, you know, giggly child that would run around, he became like a scared, 
uh, withdrawn, you know, little creature. Um, and you, you know, a, a kid is like a really great indication of what's happening in the home. John's sister got pregnant with her second child, Haley. The boyfriend was violent toward both the sister and the kids. I read the investigator's report. It was bad. After one particularly rough domestic abuse incident, John got the call from the social worker suggesting that he take the kids. To be honest with you, I did not necessarily have a desire at that moment to like be a parent to two young children all of a sudden. Um, I was enjoying my life and my independence and my relationship with Tristan and our dogs. John and Tristan were only in their mid-20s. And so I, I didn't directly want to all of a sudden take kids and then just have them for the next 18 years. But I knew that what was the most important thing was making sure that the kids' needs were addressed, that they were taken care of, and that they were protected. And that stuff really superseded any of the other things going on in my mind. John wanted to be there for his sister. And the way he saw it, the best way for him to do that was to do something really difficult. He told his sister he wanted to take the kids off her hands for just a few days, when in reality, he knew it might be forever. But he felt he had no other choice, because if he came right out and said, let me take your kids forever, there was a good chance she'd say no. And then DCFS would take the kids, and they'd wind up in foster care. And he and Tristan would likely not stand a chance of getting the kids at all. So with his sister's permission, John and Tristan brought the kids home to L.A. They filed for emergency guardianship and won, but they did it secretly. And then they notified John's sister and her boyfriend about what they had done. And of course, they totally freaked out on us. Um, you know, it was like text messages and phone calls that were sort of threatening in nature and demanding that we let them see the kids right away. And it became really scary. Like the person my sister was with was like has a violent history. And we were like scared. They know where we live. Um, and we did something as bold, basically, as to file for guardianship of, of their kids. And we had to start, like, watching our backs, like, quite literally. When we would come and go from our apartment building, there was always that feeling that they could be there. And there were times where they were there. At one point, John and Tristan were so scared by a surprise visit from his sister and her boyfriend that they took the kids and hid out at a friend's house for a few days. In the meantime, they were filing for permanent guardianship, which meant John facing his sister in court. It was really like seeing a total stranger. But it was really scary because I loved my sister and I hated being enemies with her in that way. Coming up, what it's like to be a gay uncle dad on Mother's Day, plus a messy post-adoption sandwich. Don't go away. Longest Shortest Time is brought to you by TeenCounseling.com. TeenCounseling.com connects your 13 to 19-year-old with a licensed professional counselor right where they spend most of their time, on their smartphones. The process starts by completing a short questionnaire to help them understand your relationship with your teen and their specific needs. You'll then be matched with a skilled therapist in TeenCounseling.com's network of specialists who will be available to start communicating within 24 hours. You'll have the opportunity to review their credentials and directly communicate with the counselor to make sure it's a good fit. Then, once you approve, the counselor and your teen will begin communicating directly. 
Teen Counseling is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so it's easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's also more affordable than traditional counseling and financial aid's available. So visit teencounseling.com slash longshort and help your teen take charge of their mental health with help from an experienced professional. Listeners to The Longest Shortest Time can get 10% off their first month at teencounseling.com slash longshort. <laughs> We're back. John won the court battle against his sister, and she eventually agreed to allow him and Tristan to file for adoption. And I can't understate what, like, how painful that must be to have to agree to, you know, let somebody else adopt your kids. So I really, I think, respect her a lot for that. John and his sister were raised evangelical Christian. And we did not talk about sex, and especially did not talk about protection, because then that meant that you were going to have sex. And if a girl got pregnant, she was hidden away. You know, the people in the church don't, like, bring their pregnant girls to church. Um, what you're describing now sounds like so much hiding in your in your childhood. You you had to run from your father's criminal history and um, hide your sister's pregnancy. It sounds like a lot of um, suppression. Yeah, I think... You know, um, in like the musical, The Book of Mormon, there's the song about how you put it in a box, mm-hmm. you put everything in a box. You can just kind of lock it away. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the same thing in, in, among evangelical Christians. At least that's my experience. I mean, you can bring those things to light. You can talk about those things, but there are consequences to doing so. If you bring it, you had better be ready to come to Jesus and have that like moment where you repent and you change. And like with my sexuality, I didn't want to change. I had enough of those moments where I like said to myself, Jesus doesn't want you to be gay. And if you want to be a good person, you cannot be gay. But, you know, something inside me said, that's not right. That's, that doesn't make sense because I am a good person and I am gay. And and I've decided that like, I'm not going to hide things. I'm not going to be somebody that doesn't address things. Um, and that's informed my parenting. Like, obviously, that's something that's been big about, like, we're not going to have children that are totally clueless about birth control, because that's how you get a, a, a pregnant child. Can you tell me what it was like um, to transition from from uncle to dad? Um, like, Riley used to call me Uncle Uncle Biff, because Biff is my nickname that my family gave me when I was little. Uh, <laughs> and my family still calls me Biff, actually. And Haley couldn't talk, of course, when we got her. But it was it is slow because you don't just get a kid and then all of a sudden feel like their parent. Um, I will say that when Riley went to kindergarten on Mother's Day, I was a little bit worried because I knew that they would do a Mother's Day, you know, craft or card or something. And and we were very open with his teacher about his situation and what was happening. And he had not seen or heard from his mom in a couple of years at that point. Um, and we were also open with Riley about the situation. So it's not like Riley believes that we're just like two random gay men that have adopted him. He knows what, what, what the history has been, at least in terms of what's age appropriate for him to know. And so I picked him up from kindergarten and I was really worried. Like I showed up and I was really worried and all of, you know, all of the other parents, of course, picking their kid up, most of them are moms and 
So then the teacher had told me, I'm going to let Riley out first. That way he doesn't have to see all of the other kids give their moms their cards and whatever. So she lets Riley out first and he runs out and he says, dad, we made these for moms and you're kind of like my mom. So I made this for you. And, and like, I, you know, I, I think a few of the other parents just started to cry and, um, and that was like the moment where I was like, yeah, like this, this is, oh, like I am a parent. I am his parent. I'm not just some person in his life that loves him and cares for him. Um, when I talked to Tristan, one of the things he brought up was the possibility of trying to get pregnant because uh, his body is still a female body and it's technically possible. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so when Tristan had told me I was, it it was, it was a little blindsiding. I was not expecting that at all. And we had never talked about having a child. Um, and so when he first told me, I don't know, I had to, I have to like, I had to stop and like really think about it for a second. Cause my initial reaction was no, (laughs) like, um, like one thing for me that throughout this whole process that I've come to try to really struggle with is I don't understand why people have children or make new children when there are like so many other children that could really use a loving person in their life. And, and so it was a little difficult to hear Tristan say that he wanted to have a biological child. Um, to be honest with you, like Tristan has given me the universe like he's enabled me to be a parent. He's protected my my niece and nephew who are now my children. Um, he works full time and works really hard and I get to like stay home and caretake and I live like a really wonderful life because of Tristan. John says, given all of Tristan's support, he's going to have to give the baby thing some serious thought. But it's hard to even think about the enormous possibility of having a biological child together because they've just come off of another huge event in their lives, the adoption. Speaking of which, I got the chance to talk to John and Tristan immediately after the hearing, and I want to play you some of the tape. Here's Tristan. It's done. Oh my gosh. Wow. So, like, how are you feeling? Um, I don't really know. Um, I was pretty convinced that something was going to happen to stop it. I feel like the sort of weight of being afraid that something could happen to tear apart our family is gone. Um, so that feels really good. And I feel like, um, I don't know, I worry that as a family, the sort of that, that weight or the sort of like drama of all of the turmoil and tension has become one of the defining characteristics of our family. And I feel really, really excited to see what kind of family we can be without that. You know, now we get to pick what kind of a family that we are. We get to choose what matters to us. We get to choose, you know, what kind of parents we are and what we value and care about and love about each other outside of having to be afraid that someone's going to come and take them away and outside of having anything sort of hanging over us, I guess. Next, I talked to John. He filled me in on how the hearing went down and told me about the teddy bears the kids got from the judge. She called them adoption bears. They're white with little American flag ribbons tied around their necks. 
Riley's face just like lit up and he just smiled endlessly. I know everybody thought it was because he was excited to be adopted, but I think it was just really the teddy bear that <laughs> <laughs> that was exciting for him. Um, and um, then we got to take pictures with the judge. So she called us up and we could take pictures with her, which was fun to be on the other side of the, um, you know, the judge's bench for a change. Um, there were lots of tears. Um, I think I probably cried the least, but I... I've taken holding back tears to an art, so. <laughs> um. Tr- Tristan was talking about um, feeling like he can start to think about the kind of parent he wants to be. What do you think that looks like? What like what are you imagining will be different? Um, I think that I'm hoping to let go of some things, like. Uh, like this is this will probably start to sound a little neurotic, but like I'm I'm a pretty neurotic person housekeeping wise and as a parent, and so like I'm constantly wiping the children's faces and making sure that our house looks totally perfect, like something out of a magazine, um, and just trying to do like everything. And I think I think that's often comes from a place of feeling inadequate or feeling like because we're not like considered the real thing, I have got to make everything perfect. So I think I'm really looking forward to like. Um, you know, letting go of some of those things. I don't know, you know, letting their face just be dirty for a couple hours um, yeah. or leaving some dishes on the counter and going to bed. Yeah. Um, so, if, you know, of course, that will also be a long process for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm excited about that. After the hearing, John and Tristan took the kids and some close friends to a hipster L.A. diner that they love so Tristan could get his favorite sandwich called the Sloppy Tofu Mess. Then they went paddle boating on Echo Park Lake. And then, that night, they went to the airport to fly back to Portland. That's where they live now. The flight was delayed, and John and Tristan kept the kids calm by promising them root beer on the plane. So then the problem with that was, is they refused to go to sleep on the plane until they got their root beer. (laughs) Um, And then the flight attendant didn't actually have any root beer anyways. If I had promised my daughter root beer on the plane and she had to wait that long for it, and then it turned out there was no root beer, she would just freak out. Well, as you can imagine, um, our children are pretty decent at dealing with disappointment. And I think they were also just so tired at that moment that they were just happy to get ginger ale. (laughs) John and Tristan are safely back home with their kids and their adoption papers. John tells me the very next day after they got back, Riley went off to sleepaway camp for a night. It was his first night away from John and Tristan since they took him in. John says it went great, aside from Riley losing half his things. We have been blown away by your response to Tristan and John's story on our blog. Please keep sending your comments. Leave them at longestshortesttime.com on this episode. That's episode 62. And make sure you remember to subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss our next chapter on these guys or my interview with Terry Gross or any of our next season. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado and Antonia Akitunde. 
This episode was produced in partnership with WNYC. I had production support there from Joanna Solitaroff, Bill Moss, and Bill O'Neill. Special thanks to Ezra Morris, Alex Ward, and the Edmund D. Edelman Children's Court in Los Angeles. And here at The Longest Shortest Time, many, many, many of our favorite stories come from you, our listeners. If you want to be like John and Tristan and tell your story on this podcast, pitch us. It can be anything about your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your parents. We love when people without kids write to us. And most of all, we love to hear things we've never heard before. So surprise us. Go to LongestShortestTime.com and submit your story. Hi, guys. Danielle Schneider here. Eileen, you've done it again. <laughs> As you know, Casey Wilson and I are obsessed with All the Real Housewives. Eileen would be the cheapest, best date <laughs> because you could give her Claire's and she would think it's Cartier. <laughs> so that's why we started Bitch Sesh, a Real Housewives breakdown show. And we've got some really exciting news. Starting this week, we're going to cover the brand new season of... Real Housewives of New York City. Yes! Is Erica here tonight? Maybe she is, bitches. <laughs> so look for new episodes every Thursday morning. Bitch Sesh is coming to the Big Apple. Only on Earwolf. On this podcast, <laughs> I'll admit you come off like a little nasty. <laughs> Stand up. You sing Earwolf? Yeah. <laughs> This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find ten. So we open a drawer here. And there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.